One year, one of my best friends was pitching for the University of Texas, and they came to Omaha, and I had gotten, like, VIP suite tickets through work, and we told them, once you're done playing in the game, come up to the box, and so he came up with his player pass, and they're like, yeah, we can't let you up here. I'm like, he is a player. He was literally pitching down there, like, 20 minutes ago. He, he can come up here, and they're like, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do. We're like... Player pass gets you anywhere, I guess, except, anywhere except the, the suite. Yeah. That's wow. wild. That is wild. I'll well, give you my suite pass, and you can come up here. Give me your player pass, and I'll go hang out in the dugout. <laughs> That's the way to do it, right? Yeah. Like the right off there. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have done it in a heartbeat. Right. Oh, for sure. Uh, well. Welcome back, everybody. We are back after a week off, unintentional week off. I know we kind of said that we were going to do a podcast while I was in Omaha last week, but uh, things happened and plans changed, and I was very tired, so we didn't do one. We had family plans. <laughs> we had family plans. Ben, ben had to play Uncle Ben. I did. I did have to play oh. Uncle Ben, but that is a story for another podcast. Um, tonight, we are more than excited to talk to John, and please do not, if I mispronounce your last name, I gave it my best shot, but I, it's uh, Antonucci. Very good, sir. All right, nailed it. You must you must have gone on LinkedIn where I like do the whole pronunciation guide or something because nobody. It, it works really well though when tele, telemarketers call and they're like, "Yeah, I'm here. To, you know, I need to talk to John and Nicky." I'm sorry, he's not around. I'm not wrong sure dude. you're trying to call his wrong number. Barking up the wrong tree, there, friend, because nobody by that name lives here. 
Uh, no, but we are super excited to talk to John tonight. He is to the uh, founder of Servant Minded Leadership. Um, he's got a super great story, but I won't steal his thunder on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, so with that, uh, John, I'll just go ahead and let you like introduce yourself a little bit more and uh, kind of give the people a background. Yeah, hey guys, uh, my name is John Antonucci, as you said, and uh, tell you my my journey has been one that is not the one I would have chosen. Um, I mean, I did choose it, I guess, uh, it's, you know, responsibility of choice, <laughs> but uh, not the one that I would have liked to have chosen. If you look back on it, um, I think we all tend tend to have those those scenarios though, where it's like, oof, man, that's that is not the way that that would have gone if I had been thinking more clearly. But uh, I don't know if you want me to kind of give my entire story right off the rip, or or do you want to kind of get into things layer by layer? Um, how, do you, how, how do you prefer this? I want to. Well, let's go. Let's, let's go, go layer by layer because I have a lot of questions. Or yeah, yeah, I do have a lot of questions. But start with with uh, that decision you made when you were nineteen that led right. to a fourteen year prison sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So at 19 years old, me and three of my friends had the brilliant idea to light a building on fire. Um, Oh, Jesus. Just some light arson. Just some light arson. Um, Yeah. There's and and, you know, the the, the number one question everyone asks, why? Why would you do that? Right. Like that's that's I, I know that's the first thing everyone's thinking. And, and, and here's the honest answer. I really don't know. Like, I can tell you the, the, the conversations and I can say, you know, what led up to the events and everything. But just from a very logical perspective, like, why would you make that decision? And other than me being a coward, me lacking integrity, and me wanting to be cool instead of doing the right thing, there's really just no reason for me to have participated, or any of us, really. I think all of us kind of bounced off of each other, mm. and none of us wanted to be that person. I think if any one of the four of us had said, this is stupid. I'm not doing this. The other three of us probably would have been like, yeah, you know, that's probably not a good idea. But none <laughs> yeah. of us did that. And mm. uh, so not only did we light the building on fire, but my best friend, who was the one that physically struck the match, did not make it out of the building that he had just oh my God. alive. Mm. Yeah. And Dang. so um, I lost, you know, my best friend. And uh, I also got sentenced to a 14 year prison sentence for, for that wow. decision. Damn. Well, I was, yeah, a God. incredibly sorry to hear about your best friend, and yeah. uh, that's, you know, especially being a nineteen-year-old boy, you know, and and that pack mentality, you know, you do a lot of dumb shit around your friends at nineteen. Um, that yeah. looking back, you're like, what were we thinking? You know, mm-hmm. I yeah. I made a lot of decisions that probably would have ended me up in a fourteen-year prison sentence if I would have gotten caught. You know, yeah. um, sure. so the the building burned to the ground then, or pretty much. Uh, so we we had this very elaborate and equally dumb plan to like break in through an upstairs window. So we all it was an office building where all four of us had worked in the past, and myself and my best friend, who was like nine years older than the rest of us. So he was he was not only a best friend; he's also kind of the older brother I never mm. had because I'm the oldest. And um, so he and I were both under investigation in that company. And that's where if you look at any media coverage, and not that I want any of you or your audience to go give more hits to terrible media coverage on me, um, but there's plenty of it out there. Uh, if, if you Google my name, there is some, there's some pretty, pretty tough coverage. And, and the coverage is all going to say the same basic line, and that was that 
we were trying to cover up an embezzlement, uh, an embezzlement plot. Uh, there was embezzlement. I was not a person of integrity. I absolutely took money I wasn't supposed to, but that had nothing to do with the fire, and there's proof of that because all of the records of my embezzlement were in an attorney's office across town, and I knew that because I was already in contact with the attorney for restitution so that they didn't press charges on that. Mm. Um, but that's the media narrative. The narrative was that we were trying to cover up an embezzlement plot and that I manipulated the other three people into helping me despite the fact that one of us was nine years older than the other three. So that's kind of the, 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 the context. It was a building we were all familiar with. We had this idea to go in this upstairs office where there was no cameras or whatever, and then we were going to try to run through the building and uh, uh, sprinkle gasoline throughout. Well, we all got at least a little bit smart and got scared, and kind of in that last minute, we never left that upstairs room, which was mm -hmm. good and bad. It meant that we didn't go run through the building. Uh, it also means that there was like 15 gallons of gasoline in that one room. Jeez. Which is why my best friend didn't make it out because yeah. you put that much gasoline in an office room. That's or yeah. So what happened, as best as I can tell, I was not there. I was actually not even there when the fire was physically lit. I got scared to death and started running. I was probably a block to a block and a half away by the time the match was actually struck. But as best as I can tell, based off of media coverage and pictures and things like that, the fire went through the office, went into the roof and then traveled across and then came down on the warehouse. And that was where most of the damage was done, was in the warehouse. Um, because once it went through the roof, through all the insulation, mm -hmm. that stuff started dropping on all the merchandise in the warehouse. Mm. So you point. caught 14 years, and you weren't even there when the match was struck. Yeah, so as sucky as that is, I, I have no one to blame but myself. So there was, Of course, yeah. One person died, three of us all got arrested, um, one, one of us got four years, one of us got seven years and I got 14. And the reason Jeez. why I got so much more boils down to the fact that when we were all brought in for questioning, I, we all lied. We all lied. We all had our own little alibi. None mm -hmm. of us were smart enough to realize that if our alibi was all exactly the same, that was going to raise some red flags. So we all told the exact same story and they all came back to us and said, we think you're full of it. You want to try again? Well, I tried again by lying some more and just lie, lie, yeah. you know, deny, deny, lie, lie, lie. The guy that was the smartest of the three of us said, you know what, I think, uh, I think I need a lawyer. And so he lawyered up. And then the other girl, she decided to cooperate. And so with her cooperation, it kind of gave a slam dunk. And I really struggled for a long time with, like, why are they making me the worst guy? Like, I understand the lies. I, I get that. But why is it that they're trying to pin the mastermind role on me? Like, it wasn't my idea. I didn't like the match, all of that. And my attorney said, here's the deal, John. When Josh died, he became a victim. He is no longer a perpetrator in the eyes of the state. And so someone needs to take responsibility for what happened and, and, and all of the, the, the questions that can't be answered. And you positioned yourself very well by lying and lying and lying. And you know, now your credibility is shot. And, and you know, the, the girl, her credibility is perfect because she's told said, hey, this is what happened, even if it wasn't necessarily all true. This She gave an actual rendition, and the other guy just protected himself by lawyering up. And I don't I don't blame her. If I hadn't done anything wrong, she would have had nothing to tell. I don't blame him. Uh, you know, He was probably the smartest of the three of us by just getting a lawyer and shutting up. Um, but that's why I ended up with a 14-year sentence as opposed to you know, more, more than double one, or double one and, and more than triple the other. Mm. That, uh, that scapegoat 
type yeah. mentality. And Somebody and again, that's that's not taking any sort of guilt away from you in the situation. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to do that. And and you're very clearly, you know, very accepting of of the decisions that you made and and not trying to pass any blame. But it, that is a very true thing when it comes to court cases, especially when someone unfortunately does lose their life you know there's got to be that that focal point somebody's got to take the fall for it and sounds like you're that guy in this case unfortunately yeah and and it took me uh, way more time than it should have to understand my own responsibility um i i kind of happened in stages so it the it, it really really ticks some people off when at the beginning of the process I'm thinking very, very literally in terms of what did I physically do. Mm-hmm. And what I physically did was help break a window. Yeah. And so it's like, guys, I don't know what you're talking about. Murder? Arson? No, mm-hmm. no, maybe, maybe criminal damage. Probably more like trespassing and... Um, uh, B&E? Uh, B, well, B&E, yeah. Uh, there, there was a vandalism. Mm. You know, breaking a window and trespassing, you know, whatever, breaking and entering. Like, you know, so I'm thinking, you know, at most I should be serving a year, you know, maybe two. And, 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 and you know, those things come out of my mouth and people are just like, you're a moron. You're, a, you know, you don't understand what is wrong. You're not remorseful. You are, you're just so full of yourself. And I'm just, as you guys pointed out, a 19, uh, maybe 20 year old kid by that point. And uh, just trying to wrap my head around. So it happened in stages. And eventually I realized, okay, no, my, my par- I, I participated. And so there's a ripple effect responsibility that also belongs to me. And it was probably not for, I'm going to say five to seven years that I recognized the, the, the truth that even though I wasn't the mastermind and even though I didn't strike the match and blah, 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 the fact that I have what many people would refer to as like a, a natural born leader kind of uh, presence or aura or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. just my presence there does give me more culpability, mm-hmm. does actually make it to where I am more responsible than somebody else, not because of my actions per se, not because of any sort of you know alleged manipulation, which was definitely alleged and was patently false, but the fact that I was there does give me more culpability simply because May not have been the oldest, but I was certainly looked at as a leader in just in general and probably within the group. That's that's a tough pill to swallow, especially at nineteen, man. That's uh... and, and I didn't get that pill swallowed until probably twenty five or twenty six. It took some years mm, before yeah. I realized that there was like, all right, John, you you gonna you gonna have to man up on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're reeling with the loss of your best friend. I mean, you want to talk about a whirlwind, you know, life's just changing, like with the strike of a match. I mean, holy shit, man, that's. Yeah. Yeah. So did you did you serve all 14 years then or? I served 12 on 14 in the state of Arizona. They uh, they, shit, man. Yeah, it's loosely called 85 percent. Technically, it's uh, uh, six sevenths of your time. So Mm. one day out of every seven. And that's assuming good time. So if you don't act right, then you're going to do the whole 14. Yeah. yeah, So I served from 19 to 31. And actually, I don't officially get out of that sentence because the sentence finishes on, you know, parole or community supervision. So that ends next month. I'm I'm getting right toward the end. I've been out. I've been out just over two years now. 
and uh, my my official official sentence termination date is July thirty first first of this year, um, and so Yeesh. you know, uh, twelve years in the actual you know behind razor wire, and right. uh, I spent the last two still checking in on a regular basis. I can't leave the state without permission. They've been very flexible with me. Um, I've probably left the state more than any other <laughs> convicted <laughs> felon in state of Arizona ever um, for traveling around for business for whatever, mm-hmm. but. Um, uh, but I've also done it right. You know, I, I, I did really, I did my time very, very well. I made good use of the time mm-hmm. and uh, I've, I've done done well um, and tried to redeem a, a otherwise horrible situation in the best way I've known how. Right. And you know, part of that, um, that use of that good use of time while you were in, I uh, was reading was uh, you helped develop or were instrumental in developing the inmate peer program. So, yeah. yeah. So, in the Arizona Department of Corrections, it's kind of interesting. I say this, I'm, and I'm guessing it's not just Arizona. I can only just speak for Arizona because I was there. Right but there. There, there's, I believe, a very misplaced understanding of what is happening within the correctional system in general. Um, and and I, I've said for, for many, many years that prison is not bad enough to scare people from going back, and it's not good enough to empower people to not go back. It's this weird kind of babysitting. Just let's let's you know stay out of trouble to the best of your ability, and uh, you know we'll let you out eventually because we have to kind of thing. And so you know you're getting three meals a day. You've got a bed. You got a shower. You know there, there's so many things that the the human rights activists have done to make prison. You know it's not great. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to go back, but it's also not like oh my gosh, I'm traumatized for the rest of my life. And unless you want it to be, it can be very traumatizing. And there's some things I've seen that I certainly don't want anybody else to ever have to see or experience. But it's not that bad. It's certainly not like, say, an Italian prison 15, 20 years ago where you know you go in there yeah. and you might make it out alive in a year, maybe. Mm. Um, it's also not good enough. You know, There's not enough rehabilitation. So we decided, those of us in Orange said, you know what? Instead of just complaining about this, there's at least a select few of us that want to create a solution. And so the Inmate Peer Program, or IPP, was something that was a by inmates, for inmates, in order to empower inmates to succeed. And uh, there's, last I knew anyways, there's not a unit in the state of Arizona that has not been touched by either the curriculas that I built or the programs that we put in place. And it was everything from newsletters to uh, rehabilitation classes. The One of the best programs I built, because every unit's a little different, but one of the best programs I built, we had different divisions. We had life recovery, and so that was all for like addiction and substance abuse recovery. And then we had life success, and that was like money management and building a business and things things like that. And then we had um, life progress, which was like uh, anger management and parenting. And, and so we had all these different classes that we were developing the curricula for and we were offering. And so my job was to build that out and to train the people that were offering the classes and to create the the structure for all of that. And uh, really enjoyed being able to be a part of the solution and working with some really great people on both sides, both inmates and staff. Uh, to create something that hopefully gave some people some tools that empowered them to succeed and become contributing members of the community upon their release. That's super, that's awesome um, that you were able to, you know, get that started and that, and that uh, program rolling uh, just from the, the, the inmate side. Yeah. Um, And then setting up, setting up, you know, all your, your fellow inmates for success on the way out. Um, That's amazing. I I've never heard anybody put it 
and I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I've heard a lot of interviews on people who have spent long time behind bars, short time behind bars, you know, pretty mm-hmm. much everywhere and in, in, in between. And I've never really heard anybody say, oh, no, it works pretty well. You know, <laughs> uh, nobody ever says that. Um, no. But the way you, you put it into words, you know, it's not bad enough to not make you want to go back makes a ton of sense with the amount of repeat offenders you see. And it's not good enough to really you know, progress it or rehabilitate anybody. It's, it's a really eloquent way to put it. And I don't, th- I think a lot of the change, if it's going to happen, has to come from people like yourself who have lived it, you know, who who have done it and, and can actually put things in programs into place that are actually going to serve a purpose. Because I, I, you know, for somebody like me, I can talk to listen to i'm just never gonna understand 12 years behind bars like it's just i it's it's fascinating in the sense that like i want to know more and and especially like your story and and the good you've done and uh it's it really like i, I have a lot of respect for you man i'm not just saying that because you're a guest i i really do have a lot of respect for you um it's it's just I have so many questions like it's so perplexing and it's really cool um, to hear that you have done things for you know those who are still behind bars that um, you know you're trying to implement that change that you know you want to see so all your programs are still used you know in jailhouses across the nation then or not the nation so uh, or at least not that I'm aware of uh, you know you never really know what's going to happen right because somebody could take a curricula and then they could reoffend, but then that could you know they could actually get their head on it straight and be like you know what hey this this really works so who knows where it is um, I had the privilege and I don't know if I would I want to give myself too much credit I don't know if I could say I started I think I can say that I really infused it a lot I brought a mm-hmm. level of um uh organization to it and there were certainly units that I started it on but I think that there were others that had similar ideas, some people that did a great job and paved a way that allowed the conversations I had to be a lot easier because somebody else had already said, hey, we've got to do something. But one of the things that unfortunately is a huge part of the prison culture is a victim mentality. And you would think, well, how are the victimizers playing victim? You would be surprised, all right? Uh, there's a huge, huge prevalence of not only woe is me and the system is out to get me and all the things that you might expect, but this idea of it's everybody else's job to fix my mistakes and my problem and my situation. Um, everything from what prison, quote unquote, has to do for me while I'm there, all the way to what society should do for me once I get out. And I really tried to combat that and say, guys, we can't expect anything from anybody until we're willing to clean up our side of the street. Um, we ruined, as inmates in general, not, not me and my group, but as inmates in general, we ruined far more good things than we ever created because we couldn't see past our own issues. And I'll give you a stupid example, but it really well illustrates what happens. I was on a unit that uh, the state had sponsored a horticulture program. They had joined together with one of the community colleges, and they had gotten a little greenhouse together, and it was these guys' jobs to to learn how to uh, you know go through horticulture mm-hmm. and, and learn how to develop plants. And in theory, that was going to empower them to work in a greenhouse when they got out, and, and it gave them a little something to do while they were in. And they were you know fostering real plants and, and doing the whole thing. 
not being able to see the forest through the trees, what did they start doing? They started smuggling the cactus spines back onto the unit so that they could use them as tattoo needles. Ingenuity. Right up until the state finds out that they're doing it and shuts down the horticulture program because, yeah. you know, this is why we can't have nice things. Uh, there was another much more involved incident where there was a, uh, we'll call it a career opportunity. Uh, a company, there m- many companies in Arizona collaborate with the Department of Corrections to basically get cheap labor because you're making mm-hmm. literally pennies. And so companies will come in and say, hey, we won't pay them pennies. We'll pay them dollars to come work for us. But they're still able to pay a third, a quarter of what it would cost to, you know, to uh, pay a, a civilian that has rent. Right. right. And so, uh, there was a curb and vent. So basically the people that make the venting and, and ventilation systems, excuse me, for uh, AC systems and things. Well, the guys decided that uh, they wanted to make sure they were ready in case anything crazy happened. And they built an entire body armor behind the scenes. With, and, and they went, they got some sort of a whim about it, went in and found, I'm not joking, you're talking a, a full uh, um, uh, uh, Renaissance era. I mean, body armor, a sword, I mean, a whole nine yards. just made a knight's armor? It, yes, basically. <laughs> and it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you guys are, li- you, they killed like 50 jobs. Dang. 50 jobs went, went away. And so it was, I, was like, I was like, guys, we need to stop complaining that the state doesn't help us with this and they don't care about how about we actually foster the good opportunities and let's create some more. And I, you know, I can't say whether or not I succeeded, but I can say with a clear conscience that I made every effort to leave that environment in a better place than I found it. Um, yeah. I, I would like to say that uh, because they move you around so much, that's just part of being incarcerated. They move you all the time. Uh, because of that, I got to influence a lot of different units and I was on every uh, Arizona complex other than one over the course of my incarceration. So wow, they move um, you around that much. Definitely a wide reach. What's that? They move you around that much through 14 yeah, years. Yeah, and it's hit. for one reason or another. So I was in general population the entire time. So not uh, you know, the the number one reason people move is because they can't get along with somebody and they decide right. that they want to seek protective custody. That was not my case. Um so the first one I moved to, I, I was started at a unit and that unit, I think like three months after I got there, the state classified it as a sex offender unit. And so the sex offenders are not kept with general population. So they moved all of us that were general population off that unit in order to bring the sex offenders onto that unit. Uh, I was then at another unit for like 10 months. And that that's kind of a, a funny but really just like uh, story. Um, the water that they used to water their fields was reconstituted water. I did not know that, and I played soccer, and I'm kind of an all-out kind of guy just in general. If I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all out. And uh, I dove for the soccer ball in that grass that you know was uh, apparently infected. And so it was weird. It just felt like a rash at first. Well, we went. We couldn't get rid of it. We couldn't get rid of it. It started spreading. Ten months later, it's, it's just unbearable. It's literally affecting my mental sanity because it itches. And every mm-hmm. time I sweat, it's just unbearable. I can't Ugh. take a shower. It's just, and the doctor, you know, is trying lotions and potions and this and that. And <laughs> right. Not coming up with anything. And granted, it's a prison doctor. So they're, they're not paid to, to give you real care. They're paid to keep costs down. And uh, anyways, I finally went to this lady and I was like, ma'am, I can't take this anymore. We have got to get me to a dermatologist. And she goes, well... I'm not really authorized to send you off site to a dermatologist, but I can send you to a cooler climate. 
And I was like, whatever. Like, the heat was bothering me majorly. So she sends me up into the mountains to one of the units up there. The first thing, you know, doctor sees me and goes, oh, we're sending you to the dermatologist. And I'm like, I've been asking for this for 10 (laughs) months. Are you serious right now? I met the dermatologist within a week. The dermatologist comes in. And this is never what you want to hear from a dermatologist. Dermatologist walks in. He goes, you know, I've seen some things, but I'm going to put some gloves on when I look at you. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, that's not good. Turns out I had managed the, the grass and whatever there had activated something. And it's the, the official term is folliculitis, but basically it's, it's, an, uh, um, it's an eczema. It's mm-hmm. an inflammation of the follicles. But simultaneously, the reason nothing was working is because I had two issues. So that whole time I had both eczema and scabies. Oh, no. Scabies, let's go. Yeah. Get some oranges in that guy. Yeah, it took took four rounds of scabies treatment to get rid of everything because, I mean, I've been living with it for 10 months. Oof, them scabies was and in there. So uh, that's just a little side story there. Anyways, I was only on that unit for like two months before they All actually right. converted that from medium custody, which is what I was, to a close custody. It's a higher level of custody. Hmm. And so they moved all of us medium custody. I stayed at the next unit for five and a half years. That was probably the or that was the longest place I was anywhere. Uh, then they opened up a new unit, and my last name starts with A, and I'm guessing I just, you know, top of the list kind of thing. Yeah. got to move to to open up the new unit. I was only there for, I want to say, it's either five or seven months. I know it was one shy of six on one direction or the other. And uh, then I got reclassified to minimum custody, and so I got moved to minimum custody. And uh, the minimum custody yard that I went to, everything was going super well until they got a new deputy warden. And I, I'm not only was I very involved in the programs, but I've also, in every unit I was on, I was very involved with church stuff. Mm-hmm. And this new deputy warden wanted absolutely no inmate-led religious functions, period. Oh. And I, I genuinely tried to comply with the directives as I understood them. She decided that I was not complying well enough and decided I needed to move to another unit because I wasn't uh, doing what I was supposed to do. Uh, they sent me to Globe Unit, which was actually the place where I'm the most proud of the best inmate peer program that I've ever put together. I, I did it on all the other units as well. Uh, that, that, that part was happening everywhere else I was. But at Globe, uh, I worked with an amazing deputy warden, and we had hands down the best program that uh, that any unit that I'm aware of had. I, our, our goal was to be number one in the state, and I believe we achieved it before I left. Um, and I got left there just to, for the last unit before I went home. There was They moved me to a different unit right before I went home, and, and I was there until I left. But yeah, so that you get moved around, and it was just different reasons, different situations, different circumstances, but... Um, you're not you're not guaranteed anything and you never know it's not like oh yeah i'm gonna be leaving in a month and a half no they will walk up to you one night and say roll your stuff up you're leaving and you're gone by that next morning they'll let you know 10 o'clock at night and by three o'clock in the morning you're out of that bed and you're moving on to the next place Jeez, why was that one warden so anti inmate led religion was she worried somebody's gonna start a cult or what i mean yeah actually i think that's exactly what it was so what would happen yeah that's where my brain went yeah so what would happen is uh, different units were run different ways, and, and that's just the way it's always going to be, I think. But yeah, there are some interesting policies, at least in Arizona and at least it, as, as, two, as of two years ago, where you can have an inmate-led program all day long. 
but you are not allowed to have an inmate-led religious program. And it is. It's because of, not necessarily cults per se, but rather because yeah. of influence. People using mm. religion as a cover for meeting meeting up and doing maybe other things yeah and so i'm not certain where her particular issue was because i'm not aware of anything like that that was going on on that unit but that's why the policy is there and so what most administrations did was they would allow us to run our inmate-led religious programming under the regular programming banner so it wouldn't be chaplain supervised or anything like that it would just we'd call it mentor groups or something yeah. like that because we were trying to provide good solutions well this particular deputy warden just was not willing to make that concession and literally came in she called all of us because it wasn't just me it was multiple people that were running maybe different bible studies or different faith communities she called us all into the room and said guys the policy says that doesn't exist and i'm going to be enforcing that policy I know that that's not been the case on this unit, but here are the new expectations. Like I said, I, I genuinely tried to comply as I, with with those those uh, instructions the way I understood them. Um, and, and where she got me was I worked together with some volunteers who were coming in and thought, you know, it's under their supervision. It's done mm -hmm. in the right way. It's done. And she said, no, you still have way too much influence in that service, and uh, we're, we're not going to keep you here. And I said, okay, well. I guess I'll go try to make a positive impact at somewhere else. <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it all happens for a reason, and, and you exactly. uh, you got moved around and touched a lot of different people's lives implementing these programs, and I can't imagine that there was, wasn't one person that had some positive experience out of it. You know, it's interesting. Since I've gotten out, I've had the privilege of taking a few out to lunch after they've gotten out and things. And, and that's, I've been so humbled to hear just, you know, as they share like, man, you made this difference. And because of you, this, and it's just like, wow, that is remarkable that, uh, that I was able to have an impact. So I'm, I'm so thankful because uh, obviously I had to do a whole lot of internal work in my own life to mm -hmm. get rid of my own character flaws before I was in a position to do that. And, uh, you know, I'm still on a journey of growth. I, I don't think I've arrived. I think I have a lot to offer, but I think there's still a lot of, of room for myself to grow. And so um, just being able to go through that work and, and, you know, meet people that influenced me and read books that, that you know, empowered me and, and things that were just really instrumental to my own growth, which then allowed me to take and pour out into others. And I'm and just the whole experience. Again, it's not the way that I would have wrote it, but I'm deeply humbled and thankful for, for pretty much all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Hard road to get where you were, but in the end, the positive impact, I think that you had on um, many people's lives through the different units that you went through will just end up paying dividends um, later on for sure. Absolutely. Last question, because I do want to talk about what you're doing now. I don't want to just yeah. talk all about, you know, sure. oh, tell me about being locked up. That must have sucked, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, did you feel like any sort of like institutionalization? Is that the right word, maybe? Um, yeah. After you left, you know, because you, you came in at such a young age and spent, you know, all your 20s. Um, you know, I mean, that's really influential times. I mean, was it weird when you came out? Was it uh, or was it like just like the the gates are open and like thank god i never have to go back there you know you know that is an amazing question and i'm glad that i get to answer that two years later i mean i've been answering it for two years but but i love that i'm on this podcast today and answering it 
I spent all 12 of those years doing everything in my power to prepare for getting out. Um, and so because of that, I asked a lot of people who had, who had recidivated, <laughs> you know, come back in and say, Hey, what's it like? You know, and, and they would tell me stories like that. Like, man, dude, it's weird. Like using a real toothbrush or going to the grocery store. There's an entire aisle of cereal, not the four choices that we have on commissary and, yeah. you know, little things like that. And so I walked out really expecting to, you know, maybe have a st- overstimulation anxiety, maybe some PTSD of some sort, um, all of those things. Uh, but at the same time, while I was learning all those things and, and trying to understand, I was also being very proactive. So I would do little things like my mother, I would write my mother once a week and she would write me once a week. And she asked me one day, she said, do you really want some of these details? And I said, I want all of the mundane details of your life. I want yeah. to know that part of your life is running to the library to drop off books and, and going and filling up water jugs because the water in Arizona sucks. And, and I, I just want to remember those things because then when I get out, it's, it's going to be you know, part of my life. And my brother did a great job of keeping me technologically, you know, mindful. And I, because of the positions I held, I was often working with staff who were out in the community. I was, I almost always had a computer, which is unheard of in the system, but Mm -hmm. almost always I had one because of the positions that I occupied. And, um, so I walked out and didn't face any of that struggle. I mean, it was remarkable. And I I spent like the first months just waiting, like, all right, I know it's going to, it's going to hit some point. At some yeah. point, I mean, it's just going to, boom, I'm going to get mollywopped. And one day it finally clicked. Um, my brother had said like two days after I got out, he, he, had, he had texted me and said probably what is to date the most meaningful thing anyone has said uh, in that context anyways. He said, it was really interesting watching you interact with people yesterday. It was like you never left. And that was meaningful. And then I recalled back how many times I had been told in prison, because people don't like it when you're a a solution finder, whether you're in the corporate world or you're in the prison, the minute you bring new ideas and say, let me help fix something, people, you're, you're messing with the status quo and everyone is uncomfortable with that. And I was constantly getting told, John, you need to remember your place. You need to remember what color you're wearing. You need to remember you're an inmate. You, you, constantly and you get told that enough and you start to go man am i the problem Mm, yeah am i the one that like do i really need to get a clue at some point is my vision that just convoluted where i can't see my own inadequacies and uh the the combination of everything the combination of, of those comments plus my brother's comment plus not dealing with things it finally dawned on me the problem was not that i did not know my place the problem was that my place was not there. Yeah. So when I got released, I was back in my place. I had to take some time out. I, you know, the, the, when a kid does something wrong, they go into timeout, but their place is still playing in the yard. They, they didn't mm-hmm. lose their place. And so I am deeply grateful and humbled that the institutionalism did not hit me the way it does so many. I had one person ask me, they were asking questions because their partner was in prison. And she said, you know, he tells me that it's really hard, like, that, you know, that it's hard to have this as your life and then get out. And I said, it is if you make that your life. And I never made prison my life. I spent 12 years not trying to be an inmate and uh, trying mm-hmm. to add value and trying to be, you know, whatever community I was in, I was just going to try to be a blessing and add value. And I think I can say, you know, two years out now that I succeeded and that uh, I'm back in my place. And I'm very thankful to be able to add value here now. Yeah, that's awesome. I got 
one more kind of question, which will probably help lead into like maybe what you're doing now. But my lovely sure. mother uh, asked um, when you were released, did you have family support or were you like on your own? And from what it kind of sounded like through that little bit, you did have, you know, family support there waiting for you. Um, I did. Uh, so in Arizona, the way release dates work, it's really wonky. You genuinely don't know for sure when your release is going to be. Um, there is a date that they kind of have to honor, but there's dates leading up to that date that if they want to, they can let you out. And it's very uh, hit and miss. So I'd seen guys literally like get into the van. They're already dressed and ready to leave. And then a phone call or something comes in. It's like, nope, turn it back around. He's here. Oh, for no, oh, dude. Oh, dude. Uh. Yeah. The so last psychological, I, I, oh god oh it, yeah brutal and so you know you're doing 12 years and it's like you know what i'm just not going to play those games with myself i'm going to so i knew they had to let me out in july because mm-hmm. that was exactly two years before and so it's an easy it, when you're doing 14 years that whole six to seven ratio is really easy to figure out right you have to yeah. do exactly 12 years on on uh, on 14 so i knew they had to let me out in july and so that was the date that i gave everyone in my family except my closest brother and uh, my closest brother, I told him, hey, it looks like it's possibly going to happen as early as May 10th. Um, let's not get our hopes up. He's a super logical person like myself. So, you know, I knew he wouldn't be too crushed if it didn't happen. Um, and, and But everyone else, we told July, 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 promoted it, July. You know, it's going to happen in July. I can't wait to get out in July. He was there. It did end up happening on not as early as it could have. It could have happened as early as in April, but we mm-hmm. May 10th was the day that we thought it did end up happening May 10th. So he picked me up and we spent the rest of the day surprising people and uh, just showing up at random places. And, and that was cool. it was really neat to be able to surprise my mom. We got her out to lunch and, and I walked up behind her and that was really neat. Surprised my aunt at her house. It was it was very, very cool. And then we uh, I don't know if you guys have a top golf where you are, but then we all went yep. to top golf as a family that night. And, um, it was, uh, yeah, my cousins, just everybody, it was really neat to be able to do that. That's cool. All, yeah. all the tears I'm imagining. I'm like oh, tearing yeah. up, getting ready to ask you this question. I'm like, I bet <laughs> I like that moment. I, I bet you can't even put into words, you know, what that's like. It was, it was neat. It was really, yeah. really neat. And, uh, yeah, I just remain immensely grateful. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Sorry. I, <laughs> you're making me get emotional dude i'm like dude this, this guy's life has just been so wild and i i again i don't want to just sit here and just like put you on a pedestal but i i have an immense amount of respect for what you've done and uh the life you've led up until this point man so it's, it's really cool i'm glad you're out i'm glad you're on the podcast and uh yeah, be not wearing orange anymore you know I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't suit me. I'm, doesn't, I'm a very pale-complected person. It, it it's you're talking a to a ginger, dude. Many. Orange is not, orange is not no. my color either. No, no. <laughs> not a great color for a lot of people. So nowadays, uh, you have a leadership development firm, yeah. right? Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so when I got out, pretty quickly after getting out, I had the privilege of becoming the training manager for an international specialty logistics company and um, just really invested in that. And I told, told people, that I don't care about logistics. That's not, I mean, I do love logistics, but not that type. You know, my passion was empowering the people that work there to do their best work. And I got to do that. I got to uh, basically create their training program. I walked in and they had some materials they'd been using, but no, no official program. So I got to do for them what the same thing I did in the prison, where I kind of built a program and, and tried to empower people for success. 
And uh, it was about a year and a half into the, 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 the time that I've been with them where I had a conversation with the CEO and, and we were talking about the need for leadership development specifically. And uh, she's, she, she's an operationally minded individual. And so she kind of just said, I, I, I get it, but let's, let's focus on the operations side of things. And I said, I, I understand, and, and I want them to be able to do their operational job, but in my opinion, when we're talking about these leaders, if they can't lead a team, it doesn't matter how good they are at their job, they, they, they're not able to effectively motivate and inspire and, and, and all the things that you need to do as a leader. And so she kind of said, all right, well, I'll, I'll be interested to see what you put together. And uh, in that moment, it clicked like I didn't actually have to put anything together. I had been building leaders for years because that was my role. And so there was a period of reflection where I realized that I had been in leadership over 20 years. I stepped in front of, I stepped into leadership for the first time at 12 years old, which is a crazy young age, right? But uh, it was, I was, uh, I was involved in martial arts, and the instructor didn't show up due to a traffic jam, and so the parents of the class came to me and said, "Hey, we think you should teach." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no! I'm, I'm not the highest rank. I'm not the oldest. No one told me I was allowed to do that. I'm 12. What are you doing?" And they were like, "We're paying for it, so we're going to need you to do that." And so I stepped in front of that class and. Um, Thankfully, I, I didn't completely screw it up, and by the time I was 15, I was an assistant instructor. By the time I was 17, I had my own classes, and by the time I was 19, I had over 500 students. And so I was doing very well, I, you know, developing leader. I was also coaching soccer. I was functioning in the church, and so there was various leadership roles that I was in. Unfortunately, as you already know, my maturity didn't compensate for the amount of opportunity that I had, and so, you know, very poor decision put me in a position that you know gave us something to talk about for the last 40 minutes yeah uh, i was but, just gonna say uh, that leadership is kind of what got you into trouble in the first place right <laughs> yeah and so i had to address all the problems and say hey what what's within me where's the integrity issue where's the character problem you know and get that all worked out but that didn't change the natural capacity. And so it wasn't long before, once again, I was in leadership. And again, we've talked about that, developing programs and leading the church mm -hmm. and leading fundraising campaigns and you know, writing newsletters and, and all sorts of stuff that I was able to do. Walk out of prison and you know, I'm not supposed to have a chance. I should be mopping floors somewhere, right? No, right into another leadership position. And, and just, again, very humbled by this, but it, it just dawned on me, like, John, you've been working in this capacity for, for over 20 years and you've been helping develop other leaders for over a decade and, and it just dawned on me like that's what I really love that's what I love about working in logistics it wasn't logistics it was helping people be the best they can be and mm -hmm. I really believe that leaders are uniquely positioned to change the world because they have an inherent ripple effect now everybody has a ripple effect you know we will all touch another human being today and, and our, their life will never be the same whether positive or negative because of the energies that we interact or that we uh, bounce off each other mm -hmm. but leaders specifically are in a position to provide value into other lives and so those lives are then going to bump into other lives and, and so forth and so I am deeply passionate about that end principle and then I simultaneously noticed that there is a chasm in almost every single industry. It doesn't, doesn't seem to matter where I go or who I talk to. It's the same story. And that is that individuals are hired in a, you know, an introductory ground level door, you know, in, door entry, entry level, that's the word, entry level position. And I think statistically it's like 10 to 15% of all employees are going to do exceptionally well. Um, and so what's the natural thing for those 10 to 15%? We're going to promote them. We're going to make them a shift leader. We're going to make them a whatever. And uh, 
then we can't figure out why things kind of fall off the rails. And we don't realize that there's a huge difference between the between being the best, I don't know, barista or, uh, you know, construction worker or, or whatever, and being even a mediocre manager or leader. There's, yep. there's just, there's a lot of skills that are necessary. And so I realized that there was not any, re, nothing, any, nothing that's specifically targeted to empower frontline leaders and, and even maybe some of the middle managers. Everybody wants to be an executive coach and more power to them if they can provide value. I think there's a lot of executive coaches out there that are doing nothing more than trying to get a big paycheck to do nothing. Um, but, uh, but, but I really want to empower these lower level leaders because these are the individuals that are directly interacting with staff. These are the people that are going to make an impact and going to be creating the culture that your clients experience. And so I believe that we can fix a lot of the turnover issues that companies are experiencing nowadays and a lot of the client satisfaction issues that, co that companies are experiencing if we can invest into these frontline leaders so that they will treat the internal clients in a productive way and those internal clients, the employees, can then reach out to the external clients in a meaningful way. And, and I really think that we have a, an opportunity to just radically transform the way business is done by reducing turnover and improving customer satisfaction by uh, by just investing into these frontline leaders, it's huge. I'm I'm in sales, and we say all the time, good salespeople don't make good sales managers. You know, right. and it's yeah. such a pitfall. I, before I was in teaching, and we say good teachers don't make good directors. You know, the yeah. ones who are running the the business, and it's exactly. it's a pitfall you see so many companies, so many people fall into. Um, it just seems like that should be the natural progression, but leaders are a lot different you know yeah. leading 15 people is a lot different than you know being boots on the ground out there you know serving clients every day and i had somebody try to argue and not in a mean way but they tried to argue they said well yeah of course i don't need to train them all i need them to do is replicate themselves mm. you know so if they're a good whatever and i promote them i just want them to make other it doesn't That's work that way. Not you need how it works. Personal skills. You need communication skills. You need conflict uh, resolution skills. You need, I mean, all sorts of things that don't come with. I, I use the barista example a lot because I meet with people in coffee shops all the time, and I go, "You can be, you can know the coffee machine like nobody's business, but that doesn't mean that you understand how human nature works." Mm -hmm. And that's what you really need to be an effective leader. And so um, I, I think I'm filling a gap, and, and, I, and I think we're, we're making an impact. But that's where my passion is, and that's what I'm, that's what I'm working toward now. That's awesome. My, uh, my, mom, my lovely mother has another question for you. She said, do you okay. take this leadership training into other businesses, or is there like a program any company can purchase and implement? Now, I kind of know the answer because I took a little peruse through your website, but I'm not going to steal your thunder on it. Oh, not a problem. So the model that we're using at the moment is basically we start with an event to both build rapport and get an idea of kind of the company culture. And then we follow that up with a leadership assessment. And I believe in 360 degree assessment. So if you're the leader, uh, I want to know, I want to hear from you. What do you think you're doing? I'm going to hear from your supervisors. How well are you executing on the vision of the organization? And I want to hear from your staff. How well is your leader effectively engaging with you and, you know, giving you dignity and, and, you know, 
empowering you to do your best work and all of that. And from that point forward, you have kind of two paths that can go because they're gonna, every company is going to get the events and every company is going to get the report that says, hey, or the assessment, hey, this is what we believe that uh, can be modified. At that point, a company can choose to continue to work with us and say, hey, we, we, we think you have some knowledge. We think you have some solutions. Why don't you come work with our leaders and, and start developing them out? Or they can say, hey, Thanks for the report. We now know what we need to work on, and we're going to start investing in this in our own way. And I really believe that every company is different. Um, many, many people are selling a program. And in a sense, I am as well. But I tend to think that a lot of the programs are this idea that I have the solution. I don't believe that exists. Uh, I, I think that every individual is different and every organization is different. And so I want to get to know your organization. If you want real change, now if you just want to check a box and say, I want to, you know, we, we did a leadership program, you're going to find that. You're going to find all kinds of people and they're probably less expensive than me and they might even be a better salespeople than me and, you, and you're going to find something that you can bring in and run your people through, some videos they can watch, some a workbook they can complete, whatever it is. And, and it might even have a really positive impact, but I don't believe that what is good for one is necessarily good for another. So that's why we do events, and it's all very customizable. I've got over 30 different leadership disciplines, and so let's say, for example, uh, you know, one of you is running a company, and you say, you know what, I, I believe in this vision. I, I, I want to do this for my company. I'd say, cool. Uh, first of all, how big an event do you want to start with? Do you want to start with a 30-minute luncheon event, or do you want to you know, do a two-day weekend you know, extravaganza kind of thing? And then you say, all right, you know, let's just do like the two-hour event. Cool. Here's my list of 30-something uh, disciplines. Do me a favor, pick two of them that you think would be relevant to your people. And we're going to use those two. I'm not going to try to work you into my mold. No, no. What You know your company. I'm here to assess it, but you know what you think is important. You know the values that you're trying to espouse. So let me come in. I'll talk about those two. We'll do a Q&A. We'll do, we do a whole, whole shindig, right, on those two topics. The, we work. We do the workbooks that accompany that, and they're all uh, um, unique and individualized. So your company logo will be on the workbook and everything. It's all white labeled, and it's ready for your organization. We're going to come in. We're going to do the event. That lets me get to know. It lets lets uh, let, get to know the leaders. It lets me develop rapport. It lets me kind of feel the energy. And then for the following week, we're going to start talking to people. We're going to start doing interviews, and we're going to start cross-referencing, and we're going to start, hey, I noticed this, or hey, how come nobody asks questions in this group, you know, things like that, um, and then we're going to create an assessment that says, hey, here, here, here's, here's where you need the most work, and sometimes that looks like you need to get these two people out of the office. They're, they're spending more time fighting than they are actually uh, <laughs> creating solutions for your organization. Other times, it's you have an individual that is in power it is only there because they've been here longer mm. and they have zero leadership capacity whatsoever. And you need to make a decision. Loyalty matters. I don't want to say it doesn't. But right now, you are choosing that individual that's been here for X amount of years over quality talent that's going to continue to walk out the door until you remove that individual. You need to make a choice. And depending on the organization will depend on either A, what that looks like, and then B, what choices they make. Mm. Hopefully that answers you, your question, Mom. Are you uh, asking because you're trying to get a hold of John for your company? <laughs> you you have to be a big Jocko Willink guy, right? I do love uh, the, okay. the extreme extreme ownership perspective. Uh, yep. uh, yeah, yep. I, I love, I, but you know, I I would like to believe that I'm not a 
I don't want to just parrot another guy, right? So he's very no, no, I, I'm not. Um, I also like the find the win guy, and I, you know, a lot yep. of that stuff. So um, I, 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 there's some things that I've been saying for a decade from behind bars while all these other guys have been writing books. And I'm a little yeah. jealous, but I'm glad that they're getting the message <laughs> and, out. And I'm really thankful that people are being Let me make it very clear. I'm not suggesting that you're like stealing Jocko Willink's like business no. development. No. You know what I mean? But a lot of the things that you just said and a lot of the things that I find so true and, and so important, especially from a business sense, um, is, is what you just said as far as, you know, loyalty is important. But you see a lot of guys working the high power jobs that aren't the best person for that for that job you know and and not only are they not the best solution but they're they're driving away other good talent because of it and you're you know you're hurting your company in the name of loyalty and that's where you gotta you know walk the tightrope a little bit um now i'm i'm a big extreme ownership's one of my favorite that audiobook man I, i listen to on repeat all the time how if they you bring can't that. take ownership for yourself, then you can't actually take ownership for anybody else. Um, I had a conversation with uh, with with one group that I did uh, did training with, and they were really struggling with the idea of leadership ownership because they were getting stuck on same thing. I got stuck on at nineteen fault. Right. There's, mm. there's a huge difference between responsibility and fault. And so you know, at nineteen, I'm sitting there going, "Hey, I broke a window." What, what are you talking? And there, there was no right. ownership. There was, I was strictly, and so they were like, well, no, I didn't put that information in wrong. You can't expect, there's a huge difference. Stop telling me what you didn't, didn't do. You are the leader of this team. You are, you may not be at fault. You exactly. are absolutely responsible. And until you can kind of get there, it's going to be, you're not going to lead and you're not going to have the respect of your team because they know that it's all going to be about stuff rolling downhill. I have a series of videos. I don't know if you guys checked out my YouTube channel, but um, there's a series that uh, will be coming out about people throwing their their team under the bus when things don't go well, hmm. and how just that's appre- sounds abhorrent. like the military sometimes. Which leads into my next question: Have you ever worked with any uh, anybody in like military proper that are still like you know active duty units or anything like that? Have any has anybody like contacted you to kind of like maybe help out a unit with like dog shit leaders or anything like that, or has it been more just business? So far, just business. I am very open. People like to ask me, you know, what's your what's your demographic? And I tell them, I, I in cross industry. I, I believe mm-hmm. leadership principles are transferable. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. My thing is much more about your idea. So if you want somebody to come in and do leadership training on how a leader needs to take charge and get things done, and uh, they do, but they're, that's probably not the message they're going to get from me. I'm going to talk about loving your team and and giving empowering them to succeed because that is going to get things done. Uh, I'm not going to come in and talk about how to, you know, yell at your team better and and motivate them through a, a carrot stick mentality. Um, so I say whatever, it, whatever, whatever the industry is. If you have a desire to see the, t- you know, servant based leadership, servant minded leadership, I would be happy to help. And so far, I've I have uh, some affiliation with individuals that are in the military, but so mm-hmm. far, no one has asked me to come, uh, come, come share there. Interesting. Interesting. There is, uh, I've been through a few <laughs> different units that could uh, definitely utilize what, that, that servant leadership mindset because, boy, howdy. Um, 
Yeah. There's some people One that of the things that I find a lot of the bigger organizations get stuck on is they say, well, John, we do everything internally. We have a leadership development program. We have that. And, and, and they do. And I'm, I'm not going to try to sell them on why they, they need me. That's If I got to sell you on why you need me now, I'm going to have to sell you again later and again later. Right. That's, that's just not – I don't want to sell you if, if it's not a win-win. But what a lot of people don't realize is that when you have an, an internal program, it's probably great. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say that it's got great content. I know some people from the military, a guy that I respect immensely as a wonderful leader, uh, made it all the way up to a major in mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, or a colonel, colonel, I think, actually, uh, in the military. And um, anyways, he, uh, you know, fantastic leader, great content. What the problem is, is that people don't realize that the human condition actually silences the most common voices in our lives. Uh, and the easiest way I've always found to illustrate this is if you don't believe me, uh, why is it that your wife will listen to everyone before she will listen to you? <laughs> you, know, you will, can tell her. Right? Will you, you say, say that, that phrase again real quick? Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> and, I, and this isn't a joke. It's kind of a joke now, but I was going to ask you, say that again. The, it's it's about... absolutely true. Your, your wife will listen to everyone else before she'll listen to you. Yeah. It's not because she hates you. It's not because she disrespects you. It's because in the human condition, we are trained to tune out the common voices. And so you'll be telling her something yeah. for weeks, months, and then she'll hear it from a friend or something, and she'll be like, honey, I heard this amazing idea. And she tells you, and you're just like... <laughs> I told you just three weeks me, ago. <laughs> let, me, let me give you the most perfect example. When we, yeah, we, just, we just bought this house a couple months ago, uh, our little starter home had a really crappy little dishwasher that we didn't use hardly ever because it hardly even worked. By the new house, big, beautiful dishwasher, right? Um, I'm putting the dishwasher tabs in the actual compartment in the drawer, and she's like, you're supposed to put those underneath. You know, you're not supposed to put those in. And I was like, no, I'm pretty sure you're supposed to put those in the door. Like, it literally says on there to put them in the door. I'm watching a tick. She continues to put them at the bottom. Honey, I love you. I'm sure she's listening. Um, (laughs) I find a TikTok video a couple weeks later that says, why you're supposed to put the tabs in the door? Guess who started putting the tabs in the door after the TikTok video? (laughs) Not the instructions on the machine. Not your husband. A TikTok video. I'm like, oh, hey, whatever. If that's what gets the job done, I'm I'm happy with it. Yeah, and kids are the same way, right? Kids will listen to every other parent on the block before they'll do what you want them to do. And and again, it's it's not that they're mad at you. It's not that they disrespect you. It's it's the human condition. Um, it's why you can read a book. You don't know that author. You don't know the person from Adam. But for whatever reason, it will make an impact more for, on you than what your wife has told you. Your wife might have told you for the last six weeks, honey. We really got to get away from fats and salts, and we need to do more vegetables and proteins. And you're like, yeah, 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 give me my potato chips, right? And then you read a book on the value of drinking a lot of water and getting toward proteins and, and greens, and you're like, honey, I'm going to go buy some salad, right? <laughs> it's just, it's the way we are. And so what does this have to do with business? Well, you can have a great internal program, but if it's being delivered by people that everybody already know, they're tuning them out, not because they're disrespecting them, not because they don't care. It's the human condition. I can come in and say the exact same thing that you just said, but because I am not a known commodity, all of a sudden it makes sense. 
it's it's the outside perspective you know not only does the perspective help but hearing it said from someone who doesn't work with you day in and day out you know oh you're just saying that just because we sit in a cubicle you know 10 feet away from each other all day and i listen to you yammer about a bunch of other shit that quite frankly i think you're crazy about um but when you come in and say it it's like oh man okay yeah this guy doesn't know me from adam and now i hear it echoed maybe there is something to this Exactly. Uh, that's the most infuriating thing for me. That's like, uh, it gets me so bad because it's it's helpful. We're like, all right, okay, cool. We finally got the point across. But then it's like, dude, I've been saying this for six weeks. Like, why is well, it? Why? Yeah. <laughs> so infuri- yeah that's the infuriating side of it. But at the end of the day, yeah. I'm like, shoot, as long as it gets across, like, fine. But like, ah, it just irks me. It, <laughs> and this, this kind of illustrates beautifully what I was going to say earlier talking about Jocko and everything and, and how why I think these topics are so important is because it, it doesn't just relay to a business level. You know, um, when Jocko is talking and, and he's saying, you know, if, if a team is failing, it doesn't matter who the coach is or what role that coach has on that team. It is that coach's responsibility to make that team help that team succeed. And that has changed my perspective, like being a husband and a father, like this is my team. Like, and if, and I coached baseball for a long time and I quite frankly was young and, you know, sometimes it was the umpire's fault. Sometimes it was that kid's fault for, you know, being a shithead and not making that play or whatever. Um, But, you know, I would accept responsibility, but listening to Jocko and, you know, people like yourself relay these messages, it changes the shape that you have on, you know, not just business, but relationship, interpersonal, you know, not only with the relationship you have with others, but the relationships you have with yourself, you know, this, these topics are, are very important in many facets of life, not just the business sense. 100%. My my keynote ends along those lines where I say, uh, in the keynote, I talk about four things that will make anybody at least start you off on a path toward leadership. And that's that's love your team, uh, make time for them. Uh, Did I just miss one? Love your team. (laughs) Love your team, make time for them or be available. Listen and find the yes. Those are the the four there. And I, I say, hey, if you're an executive, love your team, make time for them. Listen and find a yes. If you're a manager, all four. If you're a parent, love your team. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and it does. It 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 works at every single level. If anybody is looking to you for leadership, these principles are a hundred percent relevant. Um, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I uh, I am very happy to hear you know because especially like you know the big names and stuff like that like the jockos but it's it's really refreshing to hear somebody that's you know not and you do see a lot of like what's that 10x guy um i can't think of his name yeah and sorry if you're a 10x guy um but okay cool uh to me that seems like a guy who's found this program that he's trying to implement liver king another perfect example you know, yeah, the guy eats liver, but he's also taking PEDs and he's trying to go viral. You know, like that's his incentive. He's not out trying to better people. He's, if that comes as a byproduct of making a lot of money, then fantastic. You know, but making a lot of money is at the core. You know, that's that's the goal here. Um, it's really nice to to know that, you know, there's individuals like yourself that are out there, you know, doing it. Obviously, business and money plays a role into it, but it's more to... You know, try to help 
people be better people, essentially. Yeah, I, I think that we can really make an impact. And uh, the yes, it is business. You know, with, without a doubt, there there is a money component. But um, I. I People have asked me why I don't go into executive coaching because that is, in theory, where all the money is. And mm-hmm. from from a strict business perspective, I think that that particular market is so tapped out right now, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it really seems like everyone and their dog thinks they're an executive coach right now. <laughs> um, these people have never been executives in their lives, but they're they're going to coach you on how to be successful. Um, but, uh, but, but no, seriously, like, nobody is doing this. And I think it's because uh, it's, it's, it's an uphill battle. I mean, I've experienced crazy... Uh, uh, challenge because I have to get an executive to be willing to pay for something that isn't for him or her. It's for his lower level leaders, right? And, and I have to to be able to show that, hey, nobody's doing this and it's not because it's not needed. Nobody is doing this because nobody is thinking, oh, I can make easy money at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and exactly. So it's it, it's an uphill battle, but I think it's a it's an uphill battle that's worth waging because I believe that it's really going to make a huge impact. And any business that that agrees, I think they're going to see an exponential ROI on this because mm. when you start investing into the the, uh, I believe it's a Zig Ziglar says you don't build a business, you build people, and people build the business, right? Yeah. And so those people that are going to build your business are your frontline leaders. Those are the ones that are actively engaging with your staff and are either creating or destroying a great culture. Right, because they're the ones that are going to make people motivated to come to work and do the job to make the money. If you hate coming to yeah. work and your managers suck, it's just you're just going to be you're just start hemorrhaging. And especially in the new generation. The new generation is not tolerating that. Our mm-hmm. generation was a little, little more. We, we had a little more like, you know what, I got a sucky manager, but I'm going to suck it up because I got bills to pay. This new generation is just like, screw you. I don't Gen have to Z work. does not give a damn. Nope. If something is going sideways at work, they're like, whatever, dude, I don't need it. I'm out. And they'll go find something Jesus. else. Yep. And then you got boomers and people that are complaining that they're lazy. It's, well, it's like, well, no, they're not lazy. They just don't want to get treated like duck shit every yeah. day they come to work. Yeah. I was not planning on looking at my work notes from training, but there's this guy. I got to tell you about him. Um, <laughs> he did some generational training. Um, okay. Phil Gwoki is his name g-w-o-k-e mm-hmm. um he led some uh yeah, i think you would like him a lot um he has done some general rate generational training for our company explaining like the buying process especially like the consumer process for you know gen z gen x uh you know <clears throat> baby boomers all that. exactly um and some really fascinating stuff on like you know, even just how the commercials were so different back then, the messaging and the commercials. And that's not, you know, like, especially if, if you're not, you know, studying this kind of stuff, it's probably like, well, yeah, commercials have changed. Well, they've changed very, very intentionally. Like, <laughs> they didn't just change on their own. They change because people are changing and how targeted ads are. Yeah, and, uh, yeah it's uh, Phil Gwoki, G-W-O-K-E. If you have some spare time, look at some of his Absolutely. stuff. He's yeah, really I, I've heard of him. I'll have to look him up. It's funny you bring up commercials. That was one of the things that I actually used to aid in my rehabilitation, believe it or not. Um, I recognized that these companies were spending billions and trillions of dollars a year studying trends so that they could understand culture and society. And then they're targeting these commercials to that. And so I realized that if I would pay a little close attention to the commercials, it would actually give me a really good idea of what was happening out in the free world because they were 
spending uber amounts of money to speak to what was happening. And so that's brilliant. Yeah, I, 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 I paid really close attention. I would, I, I never just really just watch TV. I would always have it on in like the background while I was mm-hmm. writing letters or, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I would pay attention to commercials, especially new ones, um, because I knew that they were, they were very, very strategic. We could have another probably two hour podcast on this side of things. Um, I knew I wanted to get into this side, but I I also had so many questions about you know the the previous part of your life. But uh, yeah, uh, especially I I've spent some time in management for the company that I work for back in just the Salesforce now um, locations, and I was on the road all the time, and now married and bonus dad and I can't be on the road all the time. Um, but especially having lived both of those worlds, you know, the sales management side, my dad is the general manager for our local company. So I've had a lot of insight into his role, Uh, you know, spent a lot of time doing just the sales side and it's just how it all runs and functions. Um, people think that like, You know, and I'm sure like companies like Microsoft are like well-oiled machines, but there are still people at the helm of those companies. And those people are still very susceptible to making very people-like mistakes. You know, there's not like an algorithm that all of these companies like just follow and every decision is made correctly at the end of, of every day. They're... Uh, they're not mom and pop, obviously, but they're a lot more mom and pop that you would probably think they are if you really got a microscope on it. Yeah. Well, you can just look. I mean, how many times do you do you see these huge companies like Microsoft or or uh, most notably and most recently Twitter, where I you was bring just in- going to say that. Yeah, you bring in a different <laughs> CEO, and they're like, "This thing is run horribly." Now, Look at these emails. Or, yeah, <laughs> whether whether you like or dislike Elon, I don't want to get into the politics of that right now. But the reality is, is you get an individual that's pro- one of the wealthiest individuals in the world because he started so many successful companies, coming into another company that is also also hugely successful and saying this thing is run like trash. Is he right? Is he wrong? I, I'm not. I don't know. I haven't done an assessment myself, but it is. It's very very. Uh, like you said, mom and pop ish. There's people making decisions, mm-hmm. and um, you're seeing right now because of the Elon takeover and the way that that's happened. You're still you're seeing continued fallout. I think you had two major people quit this week because they were continuing to make decisions the way that it had always been made, and then they found out, oh, I'm not allowed to make those decisions like that anymore, and so they were like, well, we're out now. Um, you know, there, there, there's a trickle effect and, and you really want to create an, a, a culture. So again, leaving out whether Elon's culture is good, bad, or indifferent, Elon has a culture he's trying to create and uh, he has to now train those frontline leaders on the culture that he wants. And if they're not trained, it won't matter because now 80, you know, the reality is, is that 80% of your company is not leadership. 80% of your company is employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 20% is leadership and you need those leaders to be on board. And often companies invest hugely into the executive team, which is important. But here's the problem. Most of the time, the executive team has absolutely no contact with the day-to-day employees. And so it, do, it only trickles down so far. You can have great leadership at the top and it might trickle down two or three levels. But by the time you get to frontline managers, 
there's just nothing left to trickle down and they can't figure out why things are not going well. And that's why, I don't know what you guys think of the show Undercover Boss, but I love that show because it forces those executives to come all the way down to the level that they... Many of them haven't even thought about stuff. I remember watching one years ago, and it was like they'd been making these decisions, and it was a, I think it was like a national massage place, Massage mm-hmm. Envy or something like that. And she was like, they were like, yeah, we can't even use the lotion we sell. It sucks, you know. We, we use this other stuff that we have to bring in ourselves because otherwise our clients hate it. And, and this lady's like, are you serious? Like, this is my brand. This is this is my baby. And, and we can't even use our own lotions? Yeah, Maybe your lotion trash. sucks. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, you know, these are things that these executives, they, they don't know. They're not spending time on the floor. They mm-hmm. should. I would love yeah, to encourage them to do so. More. But between board meetings and vision casting and investor meetings, and they, they don't have time, and their lower level leaders are not equipped to effectively fill that gap. Mm-hmm. I hate the phrase "see how the sausage gets made," but at the same time, like it's so cliche, and I hate that term. But again, when you see how the sausage gets made, you're a little bit like, "Oh shit!" Like. <laughs> And then when it comes to the corporate, you know, or business world at the same time, you lose so much of that context. Again, when you're doing your your projections and, okay, here's Q2, what's Q3 look like, you know? Lady, your your lotion at the massage place sucks. So maybe start there, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. Quarter three earnings yeah. might be up if we didn't have trash lotion. Like, Yeah. <laughs> No, it's 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 remarkable. And what you have, I, I'm sure we need to wrap up. But what you have is the is the tendency of leaders to be in one or two one of two extremes, and neither one of them is healthy. So you have the executives that refuse to delegate, and they still mm. think that they need to micromanage every little thing at the ground level, and they refuse to just say, "Hey, I yeah. need to trust other people to do it." Right, so you have those executives, and that's not healthy. You you can only do so much. You're stifling the creativity. You're bringing in great people only to tell them that they don't know what they're doing, or you have the executives that have not the faintest idea of what's happening at the ground level, and they're making these decisions that are trickling down, and and they're not. They're they're so far the ivory tower cliche comes into effect, and both sides are incredibly ineffective. And so you have to have authentic delegation. I I define delegation as providing both responsibility and authority to complete the mission. You have to actually give them both, not just I'm going to hold you responsible if this doesn't happen. No, if they have to ask you permission to do what they need to do to complete it, you haven't actually delegated the project to them. You can only claim you delegated it to them if they have both responsibility and authority to complete the project. So you have to be able to do that while simultaneously having feedback mechanisms in place so that you can be informed about what's going on and you're not completely clueless to what's happening, even if that means, and, and I love the idea of Undercover Boss outside of a TV show, even if yeah. that means, you're, if you're huge, if you're a megalith, go, go be a stock boy at Walmart for a week. You know, go, you, you've got the, you, if you can go on your yacht for a week, you can also make a decision to invest in the success of your overall business for a week and go, or, or maybe you don't, you can't, maybe you're still too well known because you're not, you know, you're not Walmart level. Okay, great. You go and you hire somebody specifically for the purpose. Listen, your only job, you have a two week assignment. Your job is to be a new person at the, at my store. 
I want to see what you experience day in and day out because I want to understand. And of course, if you're a good leader, you want to understand. You're not doing it to spy on your people. You're not doing it to, to, to you know, come in crashing down. I saw what you're doing. You're doing it to understand and learn and grow and say, okay, this is, this is an area that we need to address from a culture perspective, from an execution perspective, whatever it is we're trying to, to understand. But uh, I mean, I could talk about this forever. I'm sorry. You know, <laughs> I keep going no, on. you're fine. You're fine. You got me with the, the micromanaging thing right now because I'm yeah. going to put people on blast. I'm not going to use names and whatever. But my boss right now is that falls so very squarely in that micromanaging yeah. thing. And it's aggravating. He has, um, you know, he's a he's a senior non-commissioned officer, NCO. He's our boss. He has NCO, or NCOs underneath him that he just does not trust to do stuff. He has to be like, he has to micromanage everything. And they always are going to him and be like, Hey, you know, Hey boss, can we, Hey sir, can we do this? Can we do that? Or whatever. And he, he, uh, it's so aggravating because he just micromanages everything. And I'm like, Holy crap. Just like, let them do their thing. Cause I'm at a position now where hopefully very soon I'm going to be in that like middle manager spot. And I'm not looking forward to working underneath them with all that micromanaging that he does. And it's just aggravating. So I don't know about to yeah. be like hey boss why don't you go listen to my boy john because your head is so far up your ass and it's aggravating me <laughs> to a guy to a guy like that you have to wait to, for him to bring up something about like like trainings and be like oh, oh that's yeah. such a great idea man yeah. um actually i have a friend yeah <laughs> yeah well so you mentioned earlier the 360 degree feedback right this man tried to do that he's like oh yeah i you know very it was a very thinly veiled thing like i saw right through it i was like you don't actually care you just want to know who fucking hates you um Mm. and but i don't think it ever happened because they were he was trying to do like an anonymous like survey monkey and i don't ever nope think it ever don't feel like i'm not feeling that thing out (laughs) i was like you'll know number one by my answers who's telling you this and number two i'm not trying to make my life hell at work My my but, sister so, filled one of those out one time and then got fired like a week later. God damn. Wow. No joke, like five people in her company. Yeah. yeah. So there's a uh, there's a company that is in development. They they're working with I, I'm I'm a consultant for them on the the leader not not developing their leadership. They are developing leadership software, mm. and I'm working with them to provide insight on how it you know how the software works. They have a truly anonymous uh, functionality that provides the six pillars of leadership um, that they pe- that basically people can can respond to, and it's it's it is what it sounds like would be needed in that scenario because nobody is able to know except for the I mean except for the owners of the content, which would mm-hmm. be the the company that does it, um, and they only know it based on an email address, but. Um, you can even do with that. I, I ran I ran a company through the, the software under under a test basis where we didn't even use email addresses. We used the same link for everybody. Hmm. And so I can give your link, say, you know, to Alex, I can give your link to 15 people. We'll wait for 15 responses, but we, we don't even know. I know who, which 15 people I gave it to, but there's no tracking because they're all using the exact same link. So there's no way to know who did it when. Yep. Um, and it provides really, really good feedback. So if that's something that's, if he really wants it and he, he's not just trying to figure out who there is software out there that will actually give it survey monkeys, not it. You can always no. track. Survey <laughs> oh yeah. I know yeah. I've used it, yeah. but, um, but, uh, but no, there are, there is some stuff out there that's designed and most of the time with a leader like that. And it's really sad. I hate to say this because I genuinely believe that no one is beyond redemption on this stuff. 
but 99% of the time, 99% of the time, a leader like that will never actually submit themselves to that level of scrutiny, which will always have to come from somebody above them. So probably why the survey monkey hasn't happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And his, yeah, his raider, I don't, yeah, it's, it's a whole mess, but like, he's an all right dude. And he like knows how to crunch numbers and do that stuff. Just as far as the people aspect of being a leader, it is not good. Yeah. It's not good. That's uh that's a common refrain. It's, it's unfortunately not just him. Um, it's, it's so I, I, when you talk in personality traits, the number crunchers are the ones that have the hardest time with micromanaging because they genuinely, and it's not even an, it is an ego thing, but it's not, they don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just believe no one can do it as well as I can. They know the numbers, they know the statistics, they know, they know, they know all the angles, the aspects, the facets, whatever word you want to use. And it boggles their mind to think, you know what? My way might be the best way, but if I let them do it their way, it's probably going to turn out better because they're going to be passionate about their way and they're going to believe in their way. And if I try to force them to do it my way, I might as well just do the work for them and, and fire them because they're not going to get it done the way I want it in the end anyways. Mm-hmm. Damn, this is just mind-boggling how accurate you are with all of this. Is it just Jesus? <laughs> It's it's just wild. years of experience will do that it's for you. Just wild because <laughs> yeah. this dude, like, he's a like he's a good dude, but God, he sucks as a leader. Yeah, I, I have to battle that myself. Um, I have to battle. Uh, you know, you you could ask my wife, and 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 she would tell you that I have those perfectionist tendencies, and I've had to learn to say, you know what, my way might be great, but my way is not necessarily the way. Mm-hmm. There are other ways that are just as valid, and I have to, I have to, kind of constantly battle that. And even in my own projects, right, as we're building the company and we're doing little things, and there are times where I'm like, ah, "Babe, I'm sorry, I, I need it to be done this other way." And other times, it's like, "You know what? Do it your way," mm-hmm. because my way it may, it may make perfect sense to me. But she she's the creative one. I'm not the creative one. I'm an innovative person. So I haven't come up with an original idea in my life. I take everybody else's original ideas and I try to make them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. She's the creative one. She's the writer, the drawer, the, you know, the, the that stuff. And so she is much better. But at the same time, I don't want to innovate her ideas and, you know, crush her spirit because now nothing is ever good enough. Right. And so I have to personally fight that just that tendency of of my own little ego and things that thinks that I know what I'm talking about and learn to, again, truly delegate and say, hey, your ownership. And, and, and that doesn't mean we won't reassess. We're going to give you ownership of this. And at the end, we'll reassess and say, okay, did it work? Did it not work? All right, what are we going to do different? Or no, it worked great, man. I'm sure glad I let you have that because I would have done it differently and it probably wouldn't have worked as well as it did. <laughs> right. And uh, finding those things. But it, it's tough for anybody that falls into that personality type of perfectionist. There's, a, there's you know, depending no. on which... Which I test you take depends yeah. on which. Uh, what you know, it I get is, it for sure. It. I haven't taken any of those tests, but I know that I know myself, and I'm a perfectionist about things. So that's been the the struggle that I have with uh, with stuff. But thankfully, I've had this guy to look at and a few other like really crappy leaders before me that I've been like, okay, we're not doing things like that. Uh, so you know, taking that and learning from the other people's you know mistakes basically, um, awesome has been helpful. But yeah, so. Whew. We're coming up on an hour and a half. So, um, you got any we, last save rounds, Alex? Or you want to? No, I was just gonna say we do have to wrap up because I'm okay. 25 minutes over and okay. uh, I got bedtime. No one's stuff. listening by this point. Um, They've all decided they're tired of hearing my voice. You know, that's not true, John. That's uh, not true. No, I, I, I'm not just saying this. Like, I would, I, a, I need to get, uh, 
your contact information. I'd like to um, be friends with you if you're okay with that, John. Uh, <laughs> no, but for real, just stay in contact. And uh, I do want to book another uh, interview with you. Okay. Um, we're like through the end of July right now, but here in the next couple of months, because I've got another hour and a half of stuff. And sorry, Ben, I'd kind of dominated some of that <laughs> conversation, good, but it's fine. Um, I, I do. I do have a lot more that story. I want to ask, but um, we'll just have to do it another time. Okay. Yeah. So two. last question of the night. Uh, we asked this to all of our guests that we have on. Uh, we started sure. that at the beginning of this year. Uh, it's Alex's little baby. He's so he's super proud of it. But so, I kind of forgot about this. Honestly, I'm I was gonna, just thinking about I'm, wrapping that's up. why I do this intro to it because I know you forget about it and it's your brainchild. So, and it's a super. <laughs> It's not, it's loaded in the sense that it's, there's a lot to expound on and you definitely don't have to give a paragraph uh, answer. You can give a sentence or two sentences or a paragraph, whatever. Um, But everybody we've interviewed, it's, it's really interesting no matter what their specialty is or if they're coming on as like a person who sells rock jewelry, you know, we end up having these kind of same conversations we had tonight, you know, that kind of go back to life. And, and, uh, I've, I've asked everybody and we've gotten really interesting kind of different answers, but all kind of coming back to the same, um, general concept. When you think about life, when you think about you're here, I'm here, we're all here. Why do you think we're here? What do you think our goals should be? You know, what, what's, what's our plot in life as humans? That's a fantastic question. So I mentioned earlier that I was a big part of the church stuff. I, I'm a Christian, and I, I my worldview is shaped by my relationship with Jesus. And Amen. so I, I believe that uh, God put us here. I think that uh, he's allowed us to be here for the purpose of, of really continuing to invest into what he created. Um, I believe in the, what the Bible says, that we were created in his image, and the, I believe that means kind of with his essence. And he was speaking things into existence. And so I believe our words have a lot of power. And I believe that he gave us creative genius the same way that he has um, when he spoke things into existence and and created what we experience. So I think as far as, you know, our journey here, I think uh, I, I actually, I don't know if I posted it yet or if I just created it, but I saw something that, um, oh, what's his name? He was right-hand man to, to, to Tony Robbins for a while, and now he's a pretty big name on his own. Um, Gary Vanderchuk. There you Gary go. Van- yep. Gary Vanderchuk put something out, and, and he said something. I don't want to misquote him. He, you know, I certainly don't want to rile up his millions of fans, but um, <laughs> he made the statement that uh, he, he said basically success is – we need to re, redefine success in the minds of however many billion people because success is not making a lot of money. Success is waking up in the morning happy. And, and I don't disagree with the first half of his statement, but I do disagree with the second half. Um, and I, I said, uh, I, I, let me see if I can actually pull it up real quick. There we go. I said, success is not found in personal happiness. Success is achieved by making a positive impact in the life of another. Um, and so that's where legacy comes in. I, I, you can make money. You can be happy all your life. But if that's all it amounts to, the day you die, it's over. And now it's between you and God, and, and, and you know, that's where eternal life comes in, and, and you know, we can get into a different conversation on that. But from a, from a mortal perspective, what we're here on this earth to do, it's to leave a legacy that ripples into the lives of others and provides value in their lives. And so uh, do I want to be happy? Well, of course, we all want to be happy, but I don't perceive that as being the measure of success. 
Um, there's going to be days uh, where we're, we're just not happy. Circumstances mm-hmm. don't go our way and, and things are not the way that we wish that they would be. But if we are adding value to the world, if we are making this place a better place, I think that's where we can say true success lies. And I think that I, I say a lot, you know, when my head hits the pillow at night, I want to be able to say that each person I came into contact with is better off for having encountered me and is more likely to seek a relationship with God than less. And so if I look at that in the big picture, when my head hits that pillow for the final time, I hope that the same thing is said on a grander scale that every person that's encountered in my life uh, is better off because of it and is more in tune with the creator because of it. Amen, man. That was really well put. Very, very well put. And surprisingly enough, from the amount of different people we've talked to already this year, some being Christian, some being not, you know, it all, they've all kind of come back to that general, like make everybody's life better. Yeah. Forward, whatever form that takes. Uh, but the, I think the heart of it has been so far just, you know, be good to people and just make everybody's, uh, everybody's life around you that you touch better. Yeah. So it's been, it's, absolutely. It's cool. It's super, it's, it's cool for us. It's why we like asking that question at the beginning, at the end, so we can see how, um, how it all fits together and what everybody has said. Love it. And, and many different walks of life and religions have all kind of come to the same conclusion. It it also goes back to the point. It's cool to kind of watch it play out in front of my eyes Sunday to Sunday. Um, we're all so much more alike than what, and again, this is another podcast, another time, what like the narrative of some media outlets would choose or to have you believe. You know, we are all so much more similar at the end of the day. Doesn't matter if we say God or Buddha or Creator or agnostic, whatever you know, maybe like Satanist. I don't know. That might be a little different <laughs> realm, but but no. In all seriousness, at the end of the day, we're we're not all that different, and the vast majority of people just want to try to be good to each other and just want to kind of help us along. You know, try to make somebody's day a little bit better. Try to make this existence as humans just a little bit easier because it's hard being down here, you know. Um, So all we can do is try to make somebody else's walk a little bit easier, you know, a little bit better. So. Absolutely. 100%. Well, we won't keep Alex any longer from bedtime and or dinner. And, uh, John, we've taken up an hour and a half of your evening as well, which we thank you greatly for. Uh, it's been a, a wonderful uh, podcast episode. Um, I didn't talk much in the beginning because I was just sitting here fully enraptured in your story. Um, where, where, where can people find you? Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn? Pretty much all of the above. So if you go to servantmindedleadership.com, you're going to see basically everything. And there's a there's a way for you can get on my calendar if you want to or just send us a message. But there's also links to LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn slash in slash servant minded leadership, Instagram <laughs> at servant minded leadership, yep. Facebook at servant minded leadership. I think um, my uh, Twitter is the same as this. I think it's the real John A. If I, remember I correctly. Uh, think so, because I put all of those down in the description underneath this video. Perfect. So your website's yeah. down there, your Facebook, your awesome. Instagram, and uh, there was one other one. YouTube. Right? Hopefully you, YouTube. Maybe. I will find it. We'll find it and put it in there. I don't know if I got that one from okay. off the website, but we will definitely make sure that the edit that one in there before. Uh, 
in Murphy. Yeah, life. YouTube, I post uh, three videos a week that are all like two to four minutes long on, on just topics of leadership. There's probably 40 or 50 up there right now. Nice. Um, so, and, and we'll, we're will we going to continue to post those. And then also I post reels the same three times a week. It's usually a similar topic. They're kind of connected, but the little 30-second uh, clips on them as well. So, uh, yeah, my YouTube channel, which is also Servant-Minded Leadership. All right. <laughs> That website will be in the show notes also if you're not watching on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Music or any of those, A, thanks for listening this long. And uh, B, scroll down to the bottom, show notes, click on the website. Perfect. Right. Perfect. Cool. All right. Well, we will not take up any more of anybody else's time. Uh, thanks to you again, John, for coming on. We had a great conversation with you. Thank you, everybody that's uh, watching and all of you that are going to be listening later next week we have another guest alex yes yeah i don't know who it is right now we're okay. we're booked out for a while oh, there you uh, go. Oh, booked out, so. oh i think next week's another medium i think we have oh, another nice. uh patrick 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 the medium right. <laughs> we got a medium on next week anyways so you guys look forward yep. to that one well, it's, guys not, those uh, it's not patrick germain is it uh, I don't think See, so. John, now you're going to send him down a rabbit hole and we're going to sit here another 10 I'm minutes sorry, while he figures it out. No, <laughs> I'm, okay. pretty sure, right. I'm pretty sure he's got like two first names. It's like William Patrick oh. or Patrick William oh. or something like that anyway. I wonder if you saw it coming. Huh. <laughs> Could, uh. We should ask him how it's going to go <laughs> next week. <laughs> oh, man. All right, y'all. We will see you next week. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me on. Yes, Make sir. sure you tell somebody you love them out there this week, all right? All right. Yes. <laughs> See you all. Adios, fellas. Bye.